The good word today is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul tells us here that Christians are going to be delivered from the wrath to come. Verse 9, For they themselves, these people we're ministering to, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. Paul said, Wherever I go, they're telling me about the ministry we had there in Thessalonica. Isn't it wonderful when these new converts brag about the Lord Jesus Christ? Wherever Paul went, he found out that the Thessalonians had been bragging about the Lord Jesus Christ. What manner of entering in we had unto you, and how, number one, ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Number two, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, here's a description of how a person is saved and what happens to a saved person. First of all, they turned to God from idols. Now, that's repentance. Uh, I want to say a few words about idols in a future study because idolatry is one of the great problems we face today. You say, oh, pastor, nobody today bows down to sticks and stones. No, they bow down to glass and wood and steel and gold and silver. Now, Jesus warns us, that we cannot serve two masters. We're either going to love one and hate the other, despise the one, hold to the other. You can't serve God and mammon. We're going to see in a later lesson that this business of idolatry is very, very serious. The last thing that John says in 1 John 5.20 is, little children, keep yourself from idols. But now we're told here that these people in Thessalonica, when they heard the gospel, turned. They turned. This is repentance. They did an about-face. This is conversion. They turned to God from idols. Now, in order to be saved, we have to turn from our sins. A man is saved from sin, not in sin. This is very important. Nowhere in the Bible are we told that a man lives in sin and is saved. I believe that when a person is truly born again, he has turned from idols to God. That's the first thing. And then they didn't just simply turn to God, they served the living and the true God. Now, idols are false gods. Paul says that an idol is nothing, but an idol can be used by the devil. We're going to show you in a future lesson how that Satan has a wonderful way of using idols to confuse people and to lead them astray. But these people believed the gospel, believed in Jesus Christ, and they turned from their idols to God, but they didn't stop. They began serving the living and the true God. Now, when a person's really born again, he's going to serve. You're serving someone. Over in the book of Titus, Paul describes how unsaved people live. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves also were at one time foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures. Now, most people today are doing this. They are slaves of their own pleasures. I visited in a hospital recently where people were there because of of lung problems, and yet they couldn't put down their tobacco. Some people were there because of weight problems, yet they can't control their diet. People are slaves. People talk about free will. Well, I don't know how much free will there is in the world. People today are slaves of pleasure. They're slaves of different appetites. But these people, when they were saved, they turned away from those things. And they serve the living and the true God. Now, a few months ago, 
A great deal was being said about God is dead. Somebody decided they'd resurrect Frederick Nietzsche's old statement, that philosopher whose writing was so used of the devil to inspire Adolf Hitler and Stalin. God is dead. Well, God is not dead. He is the true God, and he's the living God. Now, people are so confused about what God is and who God is. Do you want to find out who God is? Don't open a book of philosophy. You won't find out there. You just look at Jesus Christ. Jesus said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And the Lord Jesus makes it very plain that he is God. And so when you look at Jesus, you see the living and the true God. Now, I don't know what kind of a God you're serving, but if you aren't serving the living and true God, you're serving a dead God and a false God. And if you serve a false God, you live a false life. You're living on substitutes, and it just isn't going to work. It'll never take you to heaven. It'll never make a Christian out of you. So they turned to God from idols. They served the living and the true God, and they were waiting for his son from heaven. Now, this business of waiting in the Bible doesn't mean just to sit and do nothing. It's not grandma sitting in the rocking chair waiting for her Social Security check. When Christians wait, they are busy because they were witnessing back in verse 8, from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Verse 6, they were walking. Ye became followers of us and of the Lord. So these Christians were witnessing and they were walking, but they were waiting. They had that constant expectancy that Jesus was going to come again to wait for his son from heaven. Now, Jesus Christ went back to heaven. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. The angels said in Acts chapter 1, this same Jesus whom you have seen so go into heaven shall come again. Now, Jesus today is in heaven. There's no question about this. He said, I'm going back to my Father. Where is the Father? Well, our Father who art in heaven. Now, there are those preachers, and some of them have a wide following, who say that when Christians die, they don't go to heaven, that Jesus never promised to take people to heaven. Well, Jesus is coming from heaven. That means he is there. But he said, you're going to go be where I am. Now, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1 and over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, if the Lord is in heaven, and if death for the Christian means to be present with the Lord, then Christians go to heaven when they die. In John chapter 17, John records that Jesus prayed, Father, I will that those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Now, where is he? In heaven with the Father. Jesus prayed that we might be with him in heaven. So when Christians die, they go to heaven. Now, not every Christian is going to die. Back in John chapter 11, Jesus said to Martha, as he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now, it sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. Let me put it for you in other language. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Because I am life and I am resurrection. If you know me, you'll never have to be afraid of death. He that believeth on me, if he should die, when I come back again, I'll raise him from the dead. And whosoever is alive when I come back again will never die. Millions of people will never die. Now, if Jesus comes back today and you're saved, you'll never die. Now, the Word of God makes it clear that Christians are to wait for Jesus to come back. We don't know how long it's going to be. It's my own conviction that we're living in the last days of the last days. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The Apostle Paul believed that Jesus would come in his lifetime. He didn't, but uh, he believed that he would. 
He says in chapter 4, then we which are alive and remain, not they, but we, I believe that Jesus can come back today. Nothing has to happen for Jesus to return again. This is what we mean by the imminent return of Christ. The word imminent means any moment. It can happen at any time. Nothing has to intervene. No prophecies have to be fulfilled. Jesus can come back at any time. And these people were waiting for Jesus to come back. I wonder if this doesn't explain why they were the kind of Christians they were. Look, for example, back in verse 6, they were living a good, clean life, following the Lord. Why? Because they were waiting for him to come back. They were going through affliction, but they had joy. What gave them joy in their affliction? They knew that Jesus was going to come again. In verse 7, they were exemplary Christians. What gave them that exemplary testimony? They were waiting for Jesus to come back. In verse 8, they sounded out the word of God. Wherever they went, they witnessed. Did you witness to someone this past week? Have you told someone how to be saved, what Jesus means to you? Why were these people witnessing? Because they were waiting for Jesus to come back. It's a conviction of mine that our Christian lives are a reflection of this expectancy, this blessed hope that Jesus is coming again. If I get careless in my walk, if I get discouraged in my witnessing and in my work for the Lord, it's because I've forgotten Christ is coming again. And I must confess to you, every once in a while, I've got to remind myself, now look, preacher, Jesus is coming again. Okay, so you're misunderstood. It's getting difficult. That's all right, Jesus is coming again. One of these days, he's going to come, and that's all that really counts is to be right with him. These people were waiting for Jesus to come, whom he raised from the dead. Now, this is the reason he is the victor. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and because he lives, we're going to live. When he was raised from the dead, he conquered every enemy. He conquered the grave. He conquered death. He conquered the law. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. He overcame the world. His resurrection is the greatest victory that ever has been won in history. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. He died for us. He was raised from the dead. He's coming again. And when he comes, verse 10 tells us, he's going to deliver us from the wrath to come. Now, there is a wrath to come. This wrath to come is the time of tribulation and judgment. Maybe we ought to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It tells us what the Lord is going to do. Verse 7, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, there's going to be a time of wrath on this earth. John the Baptist said, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You see, today the church is God's salt. Ye are the salt of the earth. Why isn't wickedness completely overrunning this world? It's bad enough. But why hasn't Satan just taken everything over? I'll tell you why. It's because Christians are in this world. You know, God could not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah until Lot got out. It was impossible. Lot was a saved man. Even though Lot wasn't living for the Lord like he should have, God could not destroy that city until Lot was taken out of it. God could not destroy the globe with a flood 
until Noah was safe. And God cannot send his wrath upon this earth until his church is gone. We are the salt of the earth. I may be talking to some unsaved person now. You, you criticize the church. You despise Christians. Perhaps some unsaved husband listens to me right now, and you don't like because your wife goes to church. You don't like it because she's raising the children to love the Lord. Let me tell you something, unsaved friend. The only thing that keeps the wrath of God from falling upon this world today is the fact that God's people are here. And when Christians are gone, you'd better watch out because that means then God will be able to send out his wrath upon this world. Notice in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, in verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so these Christians in Thessalonica were an expectant group. They weren't looking for judgment. They were looking for Jesus. They weren't looking for the wrath of God. They were looking for the Son of God. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that come what may, you will never taste of the wrath of God? You know why? Because Jesus has already tasted that wrath for you. All the waves and the billows of God's judgment went on Christ. And as a consequence, you will never face judgment because he faced it for you if you're trusting Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Well, Jesus is coming and wrath is coming, but Jesus is going to come first. And so if you know Christ is your Savior, you will escape the wrath of God. Well, this completes chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. In our next lesson, the Lord willing, we'll take chapter 2. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Pastor Warren Wearsby at Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky, enjoying with you studying the Word of God on What's the Good Word?